Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 42. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the mother of veterinary emergencies, bloat, including how to recognize it and what you can do at home. Is it better to bandage a wound or leave it open? The answer will surprise you. Lastly, a difficult subject, dogs and cats dying in veterinary teaching hospitals for the sake of education, but then a new company which has developed an artificial dog for the purpose of teaching vet students and keeping dogs and cats alive. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. You can just go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. Once again, go to Stitcher and search for Veterinary Secrets. If you've yet to do so, I'd appreciate it. If you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, you can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. As well, if you've yet to do so, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and three free videos at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast bloat. What is it? What are the signs? Well, your pet's stomach is swollen with air and fluid. You will see the belly expanded and feel firm like a balloon. Your dog is in pain, drooling and trying to vomit. As the bloat continues, you will see signs of shock. The distended stomach loses its blood supply and causes a loss of blood flow to the rest of the abdominal organs. What are the causes? Bloat is most often seen in deep-chested dogs, such as Great Danes and German Shepherds. The stomach distends in response to digesting food and gas production. Some dogs produce more gas, and thus are more prone to bloat. Following the gas distension, the stomach can twist, called a torsion and then the built-up pressure can't escape. This compresses a large vein, called the caudal vena cava, cutting off the blood supply to the rest of the abdominal organs. So what should you do? Well, first, obviously, calling your veterinarian as soon as possible. If you suspect your dog is bloating, call your veterinarian as soon as possible. Dogs can die in as little as 15 minutes following a twist or a torsion. Treating for shock. Your dog will have pale gums, be very weak and woozy. Obviously, you're transporting him or her to the emergency veterinarian immediately. But while this is happening, you can try to wrap him in, wrap him in a warm blanket, putting a few drops of honey on his gums, and it may help in some ways helping with the shock. An over-the-counter gas-producing medication. In the early stages of bloat, the stomach is distended, but your pet can't belch. That, that, this means that the stomach hasn't yet twisted. Products that contain antacids and cymethicone, a foaming agent that pulls gas bubbles together, may help. You can safely give a liquid antacid. My Lanta is one, and it's very effective. The dose is one tablespoon per 10 pounds. So for instance, your 80-pound lab would need eight tablespoons. Or you can give the tablet form, one half of a tablet per 10 pounds. The stomach swelling should start to decrease in 50 minutes. If the swelling doesn't drop, then contact your veterinarian. Walk. Gentle exercise can help move distended fluid and gas through your dog's system. I find this helps my own dog after he after he's gone through the neighbor's compost. After 50 minutes, once again, the swelling should be gone down. If not, see your veterinarian immediately. Passing a stomach tube. You know, this is reserved for pet owners who have a dog prone to bloat, especially if you live in an area where you're a long way from a veterinary clinic. In an emergency, you would be putting a roll of tape in your dog's mouth and passing a semi-rigid tube, such as a watering hose. And I, I want you to use a firm one, kind of like the firm, hard black plastic. The tube can be pre-measured to the length of the last rib. It should pass into the stomach with moderate pressure and result in a large release of gas. After this, you need to get to your nearest veterinarian as soon as possible. Activated charcoal. This is a key component for treating toxins and may also help decreasing gas production. The dose is 100 milligram or one half of a tablet per 10 pounds of body weight. One of the ones I've used is Nature's Way Activated Charcoal. Digestive enzymes. For chronic gas production, they may help your 
pet digest food easier with supplemental digestive enzymes. Pancrease is one that is effective. The dose is one half a teaspoon per 10 pounds daily. Effective acid reduction. Famotidine is an over-the-counter pill sold under the brand name Pepsid, and it's safe for both dogs and cats. The dose is five milligrams. It's a half a tablet uh, per 10 pounds twice daily for one to two days. It is also helpful for vomiting from drug reactions and stomach irritation, which can happen in kidney failure. Acupressure. There's one specific point called the ST36 point. It's found on the outside hind leg below the knee in a depression at the front of the leg. You want to hold for 60 seconds and repeat every five minutes. And it's one of those emergency ones, which I've discussed in the past and other alternative practitioners have discussed as well. There's a herbal colic relief, which includes one part fennel, one part chamomile, and the dose is one meal per 20 pounds twice daily. Uh, there's a couple different homeopathics to consider. One is Nux Vomica, good for the entire digestive tract, and it can, it can help prevent gas production and buildup. The dose is two 30C tabs every eight hours for three to five days. Uh, this remedy has also been used in cases of bloat. The other major homeopathic is Arsenicum or Arsenicum Album. It's also the major remedy for garbage gut and food poisoning. The dose is one 30C tablet per 10 to 20 pounds of body weight every one to two hours for one to two days. Prevention. So what can you do to prevent this? One, the thought is feeding frequent small amounts of food. Do not feed one large meal. Adding water to the dry food may help your dog digest it and decrease the risk of swelling. Decrease the level of fiber. There's more gas produced and breaking down the fiber. So obviously feeding a much better quality food. Exercise. You want to regularly exercise your dog, but don't do it immediately after eating. Allow at least an hour before you start vigorous exercise, before feeding your pet, and an hour after if you fed them and give them a whole hour so they can test it before you exercise them as well. Now let's get on to the next part of today's podcast. Wound healing. Is it better to leave a cut open or should you cover it? So what are some of the benefits of covering a wound? Compared to exposing a cut or wound in free air, in general, it's considered far better to keep it covered, especially for those deep, severe lacerations which need specific treatment. There are a number of different specific benefits from covering it, and you need to probably be aware of these before you can make that best informed decision. Scientifically now, it's been conclusively demonstrated that a covered wound will heal faster than an uncovered wound. This is because the scab, although it closes off the wound and protects it from, from infection, actually impedes the growth of new skin cells into the cover of the wound. And when you think about it, that makes sense. You've got this big scab, yes, it's protecting it, but what about the cells underneath that need to fill in that gap? Therefore, the best way to protect a wound and guarantee that it heals well is to cover it with a thin film of something like an antibacterial ointment, petroleum jelly, or even honey. What you want to do is create a protective layer which keeps the air out, preventing excessive scabbing, and speeds up the migration and growth of new skin cells into the area. The application of this occlusive barrier, you know, such as the petroleum jelly or antimicrobial ointment, is one of the big keys, or obviously applying something such as honey. So in doing so, then you need to have an understanding of how to bandage a wound properly in terms of bandaging-wise. And I want to go over in the podcast just how to put a bandage on properly because I see, see so many clients in practice and just so many pet owners now not putting on bandages properly. First of all, obviously you're using them for several reasons, such as protecting wound, etc. The big thing with bandages, though, is you need to put them on properly. It may also be that you suspect your dog or your cat has a sprain. You know, they've gone out running, they've injured themselves. Once again, you're going to put it, put it on supportively. So first, let's start assuming there's a wound. You want to make sure that the wound is clean properly. So carefully cleaning it, all dried blood, dirt, and debris should be washed away using mild soap and lots and lots of water. Hair should be clipped away so that it cannot lie into the wound possible the area should then be patted dry. 
So what do you need as far as materials? You know, something such as like an antibiotic ointment or the cover such as the honey. Telfa pad, which is a non-stick or non-inherent pad. So it's a non-stick thing. It's got sort of that shiny back or the coating. You can also need the cotton wrap, something to wrap around it. So that would be, think of like the thick, almost a cotton ball type material. Then the gauze wrap, or it's also, I would also call it cling. That's sort of the almost see-through material. And then the last thing is that final cover that wraps around the leg. It's called vet wrap. It's one of the different brands. That's one. It's almost that, that the clingy wrap that you can actually stretch back and forth. So first there's the contact layer. So after cleaning the wound, you can apply something like the honey or the antibiotic ointment on top first. So when you're doing that, you want to, ideally the, the layer is sterile, that it's going to stay close in contact but not stick to the wound. You want it to be moderately absorbent. You want, to be, want it to be free of particles or fibers that might stick into the wound or shed into the wound. You want it to, to conform to the shape of your dog's leg, for instance. You want that to allow drainage to pass to the next layer without becoming wet, so it's going to absorb any excess moisture. And you also want it to be pain-free, minimize pain. And of all those different characteristics, you're looking for a bandage material, so a tel- called a Telfa non-inherent pad, available at most pharmacies, comes closest to meeting these requirements. That's kind of the base layer. So anytime you're looking at bandaging your dog or your cat, especially for these wounds, that's you want to start out with the Telfa non-adhered pad. Then the next thing is called the absorbent layer. That's going to absorb all that excess fluid. So after the contact layer is in place, apply the second absorbent layer. So that's like that, the, the cotton battening, but it's coming as a roll, the cotton. Apply the second absorbent layer to the contact layer snugly, but not tightly. So I would wrap half, give it a little pull to make it snug, then wrap the other half, give it, give it a little pull. The layer is usually a cotton or cotton type material that comes in various widths. Then there's one inch rolls are used for small limbs and the tail two inch rolls are used for medium sized legs and the three to four inch rolls are used for large legs and the body. It's really important obviously to use the proper size. If they're too small, you can almost have a tourniquet like a flat fact, which is the last thing you want. And if they're too wide, they just don't fit properly, period. So be, begin with just enough of an absorbent layer to hold a contact layer in place. You don't, you don't want to use an excessive amount of stuff, just enough to cover that whole contact layer so you're, you're covering that telfa pad and just slightly overlapping at either end. Make sure the material that you use as the absorbent layer is the proper width and the wrap from the and if you are going to wrap where you're exposing the toes you always want to leave the last two toes out so the two sort of the two middle toes out but you start from the toes and you go upwards not in reverse you don't start high go down to the toes then lastly there's the outer layer finally applying the outer layer the third layer usually it's usually made up of a porous adhesive tape or elastic tape such as vet wrap. So usually what I would do is I put on that cotton and the next thing I'm going to put on thing I would call it gauze or cling. It's almost got a bit of a stretch to it and that holds the cotton in place, the cotton wrapping in place. And then after I put a final stretchy layer on there, I really like vet wrap. Um, it comes in a number, you can actually get it all over the place now. It's just in a, far, uh, in a pet supply store and they have lots and lots of vet wrap. And it's a great final bandage layer to put on. The big thing with applying it to wrap, wrap from the toes upwards towards the body. This layer should also be smooth and sug. Do not stretch elastic tapes to their limits as this will interfere with circulation. Now there's this, it's just going to be too tight and it's obviously going to more likely the bandage is going to rip. And it also does help to unwrap the vet wrap first and then rewind it to remove the tension from the wrap before placing it. So unwrap it because it actually is quite tense as it's wrapped around. 
The tape should be in contact with the skin at the bottom of the bandage margins, anchoring the bandage so it's not slipped. So what this means is you're putting a hospital tape at the bottom of the bottom of the bandage and at the top of the bandage, and it attaches to the hair. So that just anchors all that bandage material together. Bandages should be the biggest thing. They should be checked frequently if you're any signs of swelling, skin discoloration, or coolness any smell or odor or saturation in the bandage material in terms of they're getting it gets far too wet the bandage should be changed whenever any of the above are noticed or anytime it appears that your dog or cat is uncomfortable wounds that are draining heavily may require bandage changes every one to two hours bandage over wounds with little or no drainage should be changed at a minimum every 24 hours so you're looking at changing that bandage minimum once a day and that was sort of generally the, the standard i would use in veterinary practice so the big thing if you're sort of taking in all of this entire podcast is one you can do all this at home um, but it's important, one, one, two, to understand that it's better to bandage a wound than not bandage a wound. But if it is to be bandaged, you need to do it properly. So re-listen to the podcast. I also have specific information uh, on my YouTube channel. You can just search for Veterinary Secrets of YouTube or Dr. Andrew Jones' YouTube. And I actually show you on there how to put a bandage on properly. Now, lastly, I want to get to the last part of today's podcast. And it was sort of a, a difficult subject to talk about. It. It's one that's sort of been on my mind, you know, being a veterinary student. And I, I read an old article that they talked about 50% of these dogs in this university vet program were killed. It happened a few years ago at the University of Guelph and as part of so foreign veterinarians becoming trained in Canada um, they had animals that were brought in to the University of Guelph and these veterinarians in training were learning how to do basic surgery such as spay and neuter and of them 10 of the 20 dogs had died as part of that program. The dogs were bred specifically for use at the college and they just died a result of those simple surgeries. So that was just one example of in my opinion, anyway, you know, this this needless loss of life where you've got dog, first foreign, for, foreign trained veterinarians learning on, you know, real live animals, and, you know, 50% of them are dying. So clearly they need additional training and they shouldn't be learning how to do spay and neuters on potential like client pets or pets, period, until they've got some basic skills down. In my opinion, they don't need to be doing it on live animals. You know, I drew the same experience thinking about, you know, some of my early training in veterinary college where, for instance, during um, some of these physiology labs, you know, they actually had research animals brought in and they were opened up surgically under anesthesia and they were injecting drugs into these dogs, showing us how one drug, such as atropine, would cause the heart rate to go up we injected an IV and we could visually see it because they'd open the dog's chest how another drug you know if it's given IV would also affect perhaps respiratory rate we see the dog breathing heavier we might see the heart rate change in a different way but the point being how we're actually seeing these you know, visually they're showing us these changes so we could see what's happening even though we could have clinically just used a stethoscope to hear it or see it and then those dogs were euthanized i mean just another example in my opinion needless loss of life and i, I don't think the right thing you want to be teaching better aspiring veterinarians or veterinary students so you think of all the hundreds of veterinary colleges in north america and around the world of how many dogs and cats needlessly die so then i i was happy to see a story uh, published on DVM 360 about this realistic dog model created in an effort to replace canine cadavers for vet veterinary surgical teaching. So this is this company wanting to place synthetic cadavers in accredited veterinary schools worldwide, and they're actually they're they're trying to crowdfund it. I mean, they're trying to get you know people like you and I, pet owners, to fund this company, knowing for well here's something we can do. We have all this new technology now. We can we can create what looks like a life-size dog, so not a dog that needs to be euthanized for 
for whatever reason so we can teach veterinary students anatomy we, we can create an actual life-size dog that'll look 100% and anatomically correct which is so impressive to see and to have me thinking like that's great I mean that's just what I would love to see they're based in Tampa Florida and they're working with the University of Florida's College of Veterinary Medicine to make the cadaver look as lifelike as possible according to release from the company this synthetic cat cadaver is made of water fiber and salt and they're saying each one is anatomically correct and features lifelike fat fascial planes bone muscles ligaments joints and all the body systems like all those exact things and they're saying it not only mimics the feeling of living tissue but it ha- but they also said it has a heartbeat can be programmed to stimulate various diseases and medical complications the skin even bleeds when surgical cuts are made since it has the the ca- cadaver has a circulatory system so this is impressive like everything that a real live animal has it but it's not it's not real so we're not harming an animal i mean it's so 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 positive um michael blackwell he's a former chief veterinarian u.s public health service and the current senior director of veterinary policy for humane society of the united states is on board with the project a significant number of students do not care to be involved in terminal surgical procedures or the use of live animals where there's an alternative he says in the release i'm so happy to have this change because this is what we need today i 100 percent agree they even have the example of where they're even able to put an in, uh, intubate it, as in practicing anesthesia, and actually ventilate an animal, so you actually see the chest rise and fall. All this with this artificial cadaver. And the last little bit, the company says that if it exceeds the $24 million in crowdfunding, it's going to next work on cat models. So, so positive. So, so glad to see such a thing is happening. So thank you guys for listening to today's podcast. This is Dr. Andrew Jones. Um, feel free to go ahead and re-listen to different sections. I hope I've been clear about you at least being able to recognize if your dog has bloat is something you all need to know especially if you've got a large deep chested large breed dog you need to be firm know what bloat is recognizing the signs of bloat at the very very least getting your dog into the emergency clinic as soon as possible have a better understanding of wound care and the importance now of bandaging wounds and knowing how to do it properly then lastly maybe been enlightened by sort of some new technology technologic advances and how we can actually have terminal surgeries that no longer happen at veterinary schools and we can have like specific anatomic learning with like a synthetic animal which looks and acts and feels like a real real animal that's just such a better thing you know and that's what i'd like to see you know these here's our foreign trained veterinarians that need to become certified in north america uh, that's what they should be working on learning how to spay the artificial animal before they get any chance to spay or neuter a real live dog once again thanks for listening um if you yet to subscribe i encourage you to do so any questions or comments you can send me an email uh, and that's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com or you can also leave a comment on my blog where i'm going to put up the podcast and that's at the internet and this is dr andrew jones